Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are here for another episode of the Insurgents Podcast, and I have with me once again Tim Timbo, the Timinator, the man, the myth, the legend, all the way from New England, Connecticut to be specific, right? That's right, Connecticut. And we are engaged in a project that, Tim, I am just excited about. I think this idea of going through every reference to the kingdom in the New Testament chronologically is a valuable endeavor. And that's why we're doing it. Um, We're doing it for your sake, those of you who are listening, for the enriching of the body of Christ and the glory of the Lord. And we were talking before we turned the recording on about how our approach to all of these texts has been a blend, and these were your words, exegetical, an exegetical approach, a thematic approach to the passages, a spiritual approach to the passages, and in all of it, a highly practical application of each main thought that we're extracting from these texts. And I think looking at all of these passages through the lens of the kingdom of God gives a perspective that's helpful for those of us that are, that are part of the insurgents to help us to see how that theme is worked out in so many places in Jesus' teaching mm-hmm. and how it gets applied to different circumstances, yeah. which, which also helps us then see it in our lives and see God active in our lives and see where we can get on, get on the road with God, get on the road to the kingdom with Jesus. Yeah, amen. The other thing about this is we have a lot of pastors and preachers and Bible teachers listening to the podcast, and Tim, you're a pastor, you preach every week, and I think that this endeavor will be a great help to those who preach and teach because we're not just regurgitating one particular view of the kingdom in the New Testament. We're looking at it from all different angles and perspectives and trying to bring out the riches really the life that's in these passages. Jesus said, my words are spirit and their life. My objective is to find the life and to share the life out of these passages. So it's not just an intellectual endeavor, but something that will speak to and minister to the heart. Another thing is there is an individual of her own accord who is transcribing all of the episodes of the Insurgents podcast, beginning with episode number one, and all of them go together. I have had people ask me a question about, say, episode 54 that has been answered in, say, episode 23 or episode 121. 
um, because they all work together. And I hope that when we finish this examination of every reference to the kingdom in the New Testament, and we find the last passage in Revelation that mentions the kingdom and we discuss it, that when the transcriptions are all finished, they will be edited. And that's going to be a long process because if we turn it into a book, which I hope we do, somewhere down the line, it'll be a meaty book and it will be a book that will bless many people. And it'll be a great supplement to the book Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, because after all, this podcast is a supplement to the book. Yes. Well, why don't we plunge into the next reference, the next mention of the kingdom, and that falls in Matthew chapter 23. And it's only one verse, and we'll give context to it. But Tim, why don't you uh, roll this ball? All right, so this is from the New Revised Standard Version. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. For you do not go in yourselves, and when others are going in, you stop them. Mm. I'll read it from the NASB. This is the 1995 edition. (laughs) New American Standard. But woe to you, Jesus says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. I'll read from the English Standard Version. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Mm. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Wow. So we have lock them out of the kingdom. We have shut them off the kingdom. And then that passage says... Shut in their faces. Shut in their faces. So we have this image of a door, the door of the kingdom, that you must open to enter. And the Pharisees are not entering themselves, nor the scribes. But beyond that, they're shutting the door. They're not walking into it, but they're shutting the door and they're locking out other people. Right. And they're not merely gently shutting the door and saying, oh, this is not a good idea. <laughs> they're locking the door. They're slamming it in people's mm. faces. They're, mm. they're pushing people away. Yeah. So this is, this is controversy. This is conflict. This is uh, Jesus and the Pharisees are... Are, are really going at it. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus has taken out all the stops mm-hmm. in this passage. We had discussed three of the parables that preceded this. And what the Lord is doing in those parables in here, he is dropping a scathing denunciation upon the religious leaders, a frontal attack on the scribes and the Pharisees. And this is why, because they are keeping people out of the kingdom. It's one thing that they're not entering into it. Okay, fine. But they are shutting other people out. How were they shutting people out? Because there's another place in which Jesus says, do what the Pharisees tell you to do, but don't follow what they do. When they sit in Moses' seat, do what they say. And I think there he's talking about basically when they're echoing the law and the prophets and they're not adding to it because they did do that. They were interested in purity. Mm. 
And so they wanted God's people to be pure and follow the law. Of course, they added a great deal to it, but those things wouldn't keep people out of the kingdom. I think, I think what kept people out of the kingdom was the fact that the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests slandered Jesus mm-hmm. and distorted the perception of the people concerning who he was. They destroyed his reputation. They sought to do that. And if a person is listening to these religious leaders, and they did respect them. I mean, they were the interpreters of the law in their eyes. And they held them in that regard. If they are trashing the Lord Jesus and basically saying he's a blasphemer, which they did, he's a fraud, he's a madman, all the things they accused him of, then the people will not listen to him. And if they don't listen to him, guess what? They don't get into the kingdom. So it was the slander, the smears that I believe Jesus is talking about here because he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you cause people not to have confidence in him, the Lord Jesus, and listen to what he says, then you, in effect, are being shut out of the kingdom because he's the way in. He is the he kingdom. He is the kingdom, yeah. right. Yeah, and I think it, it goes back to chapter 12 where the Pharisees see Jesus casting out demons. And what do they say? Do they say, mm-hmm. oh, praise the God of Israel. Right. This man has come to cast out demons and set people free. Mm-hmm. No, they say he casts out demons by the power of Beelzebul. He's acting in in uh, in concert with Satan. He's demon-possessed. He's, he's demon-possessed, mm. right? And, and what, what it says there is that that's actually the unforgivable sin, right? That's the sin against the Holy Spirit to, to ascribe God's work in the world, to ascribe the kingdom breaking into the world and say, no, that's not the kingdom breaking into the world. That's Satan's that's work. The devil. Yeah. And I think the Pharisees, they cannot see mm. what Jesus is doing. They can't perceive the Messiah as bringing in the kingdom because they are so caught up with exactly what you were saying those additional rules that they have put in place mm. to protect the religious establishment and really if we're going to be if we're going to be honest and generous about it all those things that they put in place to kind of protect the law you know they had this saying you know put a fence around the law so it's to mm. to avoid <laughs> temptation to avoid even the appearance right. of getting close to violating the law so they had all these extra rules and when Jesus starts breaking those mm. they say well he can't be from god when jesus starts welcoming tax collectors and prostitutes and saying these people are are loved by god these people can hear the message of repentance and enter the kingdom the pharisees are like no no that's not the way that it works you are not from god you are from satan and so they can't see it and what they do is they go all out right they go all out just like you said to say to say that jesus is acting uh, in cohort with Satan to say that Jesus is not a true mm-hmm. follower of God, to defame him, to distort his message, mm-hmm. and to uh, you know to just make it impossible for people to see who he really is, to literally just slam the door of the kingdom in yeah. their faces and say, nope. That's right, because he's the way in. And if I'm someone listening to the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm buying into the smears, 
I'm not going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to believe on him. Therefore, I'm not going to get in the kingdom. Mm. And so that's how they're doing it. There's a message here for us today because this same thing goes on right now as we're sitting here in Orlando, Florida. (laughs) There are religious people out of jealousy. That's typically what it is. Mm. Or taking personal offense. Same motivations that operated in the religious leaders against Jesus. They were jealous and envious of him. They took offense at him because he would just take Mm. dead aim at their traditions and bogus interpretations of the law. 23 verse 4. They tie up, talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. Those are the additions to the Mm. law. (laughs) But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I mean, it's just scathing. The whole chapter, Matthew 23, is an indictment in the strongest terms possible against the religious leaders. But there are Pharisees today who will, out of jealousy and personal offense, slander and smear and assail the reputations of God's true servants and Mm. accuse them just like Jesus was accused, and it ends up hurting the Lord's people because God's people then will shut the door on receiving from these servants. And this is true throughout history. I mean, you're a good Lutheran. You know that (laughs) the founder of your particular branch of Christianity, Martin Luther, was one who was attacked incessantly, verbally, in print, And yet he had a message that God's people so needed to hear. But you go through church history until this good day. And there are still Pharisees who are accusing. And then the people who buy into what the Pharisees are saying, the smears, the slanders, the lies, the accusations that are false or exaggerated, whatever they may be, then they spread them. If Luther was living in our time, (laughs) he would be the subject of... A public crucifixion, okay, coming from all quarters on all media platforms, for example. Same thing with Wesley. Same thing with Whitfield. Same thing with Watchman Nee. Same thing with T. Austin Sparks. You can go down the list. All of them were subjects of grave slander and smears. But that's how they were keeping people out of the kingdom. They were diminishing Jesus in a profound way in the eyes of the people. So they they would not trust in him and thereby shutting themselves off from the kingdom. I want to look at this word hypocrites because he often, Jesus, will call them hypocrites. I don't know how many times the word is used in Matthew 23, but I see it in verse 13, verse 14, the particular manuscripts that have verse 14 (laughs) translations, Uh, verse 15, verse 23, Verse 25 and on. So he repeats this. And Mm. the question is, what is a hypocrite, particularly in the case of these Pharisees? Were they people who were self-deceived, meaning they really were trying to do God's will, but they were blind, they were blinded, and they were deceiving themselves? Or were they deliberately and knowingly play-acting? pretending to be religious when they weren't, pretending 
to be servants of God when deep down they knew they weren't. A case can be made for both. Mm. For the second option, I think of the parable where when Jesus was talking about them, the parable says, and now here is his son, I'm paraphrasing it, we will kill the son. They knew what they were doing, right? And knowingly rejecting him. And so it could be that some of the Pharisees truly were self-deceived because of their own pride and ego, while others were deliberately because power and money and influence was more important to them in this life than the favor of God. They were play acting and they were well aware of what they were doing. Hmm. What say you? Yeah, I think it's a combination. You know, the way I see it, it's, you know, it's people that were self-deceived, people that, and and been people that were play acting. The fact that so many of the people still had enormous respect for the Pharisees, you know, says to me, you know, they're not all bad, right? That there's, that there's a mix there. And Jesus himself acknowledges that some of the things that they're doing are good, right? When they sit on Moses' seat, when they are teaching from the law and the prophets, mm-hmm. they are learned in these things. You can listen to them, right? They are right. people that have wisdom. They have knowledge. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, they're holding on to traditions and points of view that prevent them from seeing the new thing that God is doing mm. with the Messiah, from the new thing that, that God is doing with the inbreaking kingdom that's happening among them. And so they're 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 holding on to that so tightly to those to those traditions, to those points of view, that they can't they can't see. They just can't see it. Mm. When when I read these texts, as a religious leader, as somebody who is part of the institution, Am I any better than these Pharisees on a bad day? We get, uh, like you said, this is still a problem today. This isn't like just this happened back in the first century and now Jesus came and so that everybody in the church never has this problem and doesn't and doesn't distort things or, or have too much pride or just be attached to a certain point of view that blocks what Jesus is, is up to in the inbreaking of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't criticize tax collectors. Jesus doesn't criticize prostitutes. Jesus doesn't even criticize the Romans. Mm. He criticizes the religious leaders. And I think the reason is, is because these are the people that should know better. They should be at that space where they're saying, yes, here is the Messiah. The kingdom is coming. Let's, Let's repent. Let's turn around. Let's get on and prepare the way for what God is doing. And like I said, when I read these texts, it's, it's convicting to me to keep my eyes open yes. for how the kingdom continues to break into the world so that I don't get caught up in my own view of, well, this is the way that God does things. Right, right. And, and shut people out from what God is, the new thing God's doing. I've got two things to say in response. One is, I'm glad you put the remark on a bad day, meaning I'm no different than these people on a bad day. But I would even disagree with that. I've never, even on a bad day, Tim, and I've seen some of your bad days. (laughs) Last time we were together, you had a really bad day. Uh, I've never seen you slander another servant of God. I've never seen you smear another Christian. I've never seen you speak negative about anybody, let alone people who profess to be Christians. So, no, you're not (laughs) where the Pharisees are. On the other hand, I take your point well, and, and I agree with it, that we could be infected with the spirit of Phariseeism if we are not 
consistently walking in the spirit and walking in the humility of Christ and you know, whatever God does through us or with us or to us, allow that to puff us up in any way because that's the railroad track to destruction and self-deceit. There's a statement I have made in the past, and that is Jesus comes to us in ways that make it easy for us to reject him. I'm sure there are Lutherans who do not treat other Christians who are not in their camp on equal footing. To your credit, even though I'm not a Lutheran, you receive me as a brother. <laughs> and even though you're not, I don't even know where I would place myself because I'm not part of any denomination or tribe. I receive you, even though you're part of an institutional religious organization. I recognize God uses all of them, even though I may have disagreements with the form. But I receive you as a brother. You know, Phariseeism, there is a spirit behind it. This is not so removed from us. This phrase, enter the kingdom, is used numerous times in the book of Matthew. Here, of course, but we also have it in chapter 5, verse 20. We have it in chapter 7, verse 21. We have it in chapter 19, verses 23 to 24. We have it in chapter 21, verse 31. So the kingdom is something we enter into, mm. is a big point here. And then we have this image of a door or a gate. Jesus clearly is giving us this image in this passage, Matthew 23, 13. But we also have it in chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. We have the kingdom described as a gate through which one enters. Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Mm. That's Matthew 7, 13, and 14. You also have the image of keys related to the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom, chapter 16, verse 19. Keys do what? They open and close a door or a gate through which one enters. The point there that you made about the scribes and the Pharisees being considered by the people the official guardians of God's will. <laughs> Jesus is publicly shaming them here. If we could see this, he's dressing them down yeah. with the hardest words. And so the Pharisees were supposed to help people enter the kingdom, and here they're shutting them out mm. because of how they're dealing with Jesus. And again, I will say this to everyone listening, how you deal with the servants of Jesus, whether they agree with your doctrinal views or not, whether they practice the worship of the living God the same way you do, whether you have been colored by somebody speaking ill of them, how you treat another servant of the Lord is going to affect how the Lord treats you. And I take this myself very seriously, and that's why you won't hear me speak negatively about any servant mm. of God. It's scary to me. Mm. to hear Christians so easily talk about other people, most of whom they don't know, to turn that around and say, okay, wait a minute, what if I was this person and people were speaking about me this way? That thought rarely crosses the mind of the average Christian, even though that's the centerpiece of Jesus' teaching. Mm. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one word, treat others the way you want to be treated if it was you in that situation. 
And that's something that's been tattooed on my forehead. I always think about that when I have to make a decision or someone wants me to respond to something. How do I want to be treated if it was me? Yes, because how do we know? I, I appreciate what you, what you said there, Frank, because how do we know somebody else's heart? How do we know what's really going on? Unless you know, we have a long-standing personal relationship. Right. And a lot of the things throughout the history of the church have been about doctrine, right? Yes. A lot of the battles are there are over doctrine. They're not it's not even it's not even a matter of oh well this person's fleecing the sheep and and running off with their their money or mm. whatever. But you know these ideas that well we know what's right and the people that disagree with us even a little bit they're wrong. And you see that back you know it goes back to Jesus and the Pharisees mm. where Jesus is bringing the kingdom into the world and saying there are things that are changing. Mm. They're, they're in continuity with what God has always been doing, yes. right? But a new thing is happening. So when Jesus does something like say, oh, my disciples can pluck some heads of grain while they walk through the field on the, on the Sabbath and mm. eat because the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. Mm. And that's a consistent teaching with, the, with what has been God's way forever, right? That's mm. consistent with who God is. But the Pharisees are stuck in their 39 categories of work that you can't do on the Sabbath, mm. and they can't see it. They're just they're just totally blind to it. Mm. So that's one of the things where where I see that still active in the world today, and and a place where I as a as a part of a religious institution see myself sometimes trending in that direction. You know, saying, well, we have these traditions, right? Mm -hmm. This is the way that we've done things. And this mm -hmm. is the way God's people have done these things for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily the way that God continues to do things. Mm -hmm. Because we see examples throughout history where God, God's kingdom breaks in to change people so that they see new things yes. and they get closer to the Lord. And we, uh, you know, I say we, but I mean myself, the religious leaders are often just like the Pharisees. We're the ones that are saying, nope, we gotta keep that door shut because mm. that's 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 dangerous. That's not the way that's not the way we've always done it. And I mean I'm sure you can think of you know, you can think of all kinds of things throughout church history. I mean yeah. the idea that you know, the idea that religious leaders could get married, right? There was a whole stretch of time mm. in the church where if you're if you're a religious leader you can't get married. Mm. There's still the biggest part of the Christian church where that's true, right? Yeah. So, you know, to say that, oh, well, Jesus cured us of Phariseeism, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> That's so true. It's so true. To him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Another interesting observation about this Matthew 23 passage is that Jesus opens many times throughout this text with the words, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees. You have it in verse 13, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You have it in verse 15, woe unto you. Verse 14, if the manuscripts upon which your translation is based, if it appears, it's also woe unto you. Verse 16, woe unto you. Verse 23, woe unto you. Verse 25, woe unto you. Verse 27, woe unto you. Verse 29, woe unto you, etc. So he's beginning his Gatlin gun rapid fire denunciations with woe. Interesting thing is that the woes in 
Matthew 23 correlate with the Beatitudes. Mm. Blessed are they in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when men revile you, etc. That's Matthew 5. Matthew 23 is woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. And so the beginning of the Lord's ministry, he gives the Beatitudes. They come at the beginning. And the end of the Lord's ministry, and this is coming near the end, we have the woes. And you look at them and compare them and you can see the correlation. I think that's fascinating. Mm. It's the inverse, right? It's the opposite. The blessing comes to those who are poor in spirit, Mm -hmm. to those who recognize their need for God, whereas the woe comes to those who are self-assured and who think that they have all the answers and who think they know God's will better Mm. than God. Yeah, amen. Now, if you move down to verse 15, and I want to make a point about this. Again, the people saw the Pharisees as the most devoted human beings to God, and they saw the scribes as the Bible experts. If you look at verse 15, the Lord says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, that is the scribes, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. That's interesting. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. (laughs) My goodness. So he's saying that these Pharisees are zealous to spread their brand of religion. But because they're turning people away from Jesus, the king, and the kingdom incarnate, they are making people twice as much a child of hell as they are. What incredible words there, Mm. hyperbole. And this reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to these words. For you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the ecclesia in Thessalonica, became imitators of God's churches in Judea. That includes the church in Jerusalem, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out, meaning Paul and his co-workers. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In other words, they're shutting the Gentiles out of the kingdom Hmm. and also the Jews who are listening to them. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. This is an echo of what Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees. And when Paul is saying that the churches had suffered from the Jews, he's speaking of the Jewish leaders. They're the ones that killed the Lord Jesus. I think that this is amazing because you had in Paul's day some Pharisees, and some of them (laughs) were in the church in Jerusalem, who followed Paul and his ministry wherever he went. And their chief objective was to subvert his ministry, persuade the people who had received Paul's gospel to reject it and believe their gospel, which was a gospel of legalism and law. There is good evidence to suggest that these were Pharisees, but they were Christian. They were in the church in Jerusalem. Mm. And Paul talks about them in Galatians. And he says that they were headed up by one man. 
He uses the term he and the one who is troubling you in Galatians chapter 5. And I believe that this was Paul's thorn in the flesh that he mentions in 2 Corinthians, that they had gotten to Corinth mm-hmm. later on. And I make a case for this in a book that will come out in the future. But it is interesting that they are so motivated to serve God, and yet there's hypocrisy there, whether it's whether it's born out of self-deceit or they're deliberately trying to gain influence and power and they know what they're doing. It doesn't matter. They're still being hypocritical. The point here is that you could look at a modern-day Pharisee and you know them by the accusations and the smears and the slander that they mete out to other Christians and other servants of the Lord. And they are zealous. They believe that they're doing God's work, just like Paul did as a Pharisee before he met Jesus. Right, right. He was energized, motivated. He said, when it comes to zeal, I was way above all my peers. Mm. So just because you see somebody even doing some good things, and they seem zealous for God, listen to what's coming out of their mouth. I don't just mean doctrinally. I mean, what are they saying about other Christians and other servants of God? Mm. That's a big tell, because that's exactly what Jesus was condemning them for, in addition to all the other things they were doing. Yes, and I'm, I'm I'm glad you pointed out that you had this man and this group of this group of people who are in opposition to Paul. And as you said, they are within the church, yes. right? They might have a, a history of being Pharisees, but they're part of the church now. Yes. But they still have that point of view. They still have that philosophy. They still have that lens with which they're looking at the world. Mm. And as we've both been saying, that continues through today. It's not like the church broke free from that legalistic, narrow mindset and said, we're not doing that anymore. When the kingdom started breaking in through Jesus, it's the it's the good news, right? It's the good news of freedom. It's yes. the good news of liberation, right? Amen. It's it's Luke 4. Jesus says, you know, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mm. The, one, the one that God is sending is here now. Mm. The rule of God is breaking in. So all of that is happening, and yet... When that gets actualized in particular ways, you have people that are part of the tradition that really get nervous about it. Mm. And, I, and I think that for a substantial number of them, it is kind of because they're, they want to protect God. Yes. You know, when you're saying a big tell, a big tell is what comes out of people's mouths and if they're talking badly about other, about other Christians, about other people, that that's a, that's a tell for you know for being in that pharisaical having a temptation to lean toward that pharisaical spirit i think another one is the people that feel like they need to protect god mm. like i need to i need to guard the right interpretation of, of who god is and everybody else is is clearly wrong because that's what paul was doing mm. right that's exactly what paul was doing he was so zealous and he was so convinced that these christians were a threat they were dishonoring God. How could they possibly do that? And yet that was precisely the way that God was breaking into the world. It's it's one of those things where, when I, like, again, to, to repeat myself, when I see these things, it convicts me to not, to, to not be that leader, but mm-hmm. to be the one that's always asking, Lord, where are you bringing in your kingdom anew 
open my eyes and open my heart mm -hmm. so that I can see that what you are doing, not what I want, yeah. but what you are doing. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we will end it there and we will see you in the next episode. God bless. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.